that there are a number of things that we're going to go over relatively quickly. Okay? Our hope is that those of you who really want to dig deeper can do that in your small groups this week and next week. We have a little bit of material that goes out each week to, to people. Our, our small groups, that's just people meeting in homes throughout the week for prayer and Bible study. And one of the things we've been doing the last couple weeks here of September is that uh, the small groups, the curriculum is just thinking about deeper questions of the sermon. You know, what about this? And Jesse talked about that and didn't talk about that. So um, if you are not in a small group yet, it's been a, we've, we've been a little bit slow getting some of this started up, but if you're not in a small group yet, please talk to me or Pastor Steve before you leave today, and we'll get you connected with a group of folks in your area who are going to be meeting in the next week or two, and, and you can get to know some more people, pray together, and learn together. But today we're going to read from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and what I'd like to do to start out, we know that in chapter 1 of Revelation, it says that all who read this book aloud will be blessed, and all who hear it will be blessed. So let's be blessed, okay? I'm going to read aloud Revelation chapter 2. There may be a few verses that I ask you to read along with me. It'll all be on the screen, okay? So Revelation 2, verse 1. This is Jesus telling John what to write down, okay? Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write... These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's read that verse together. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Can you read verse 11 with me? Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Verse 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some of you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. 
Likewise, you also have those who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Can you read verse 17 with me? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Verse 18. To the angel of the church in Theatira, write. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Theodora, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Now let's read verses 26, 27, and 28 together. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over all the nations. The one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Do you notice the structure of this letter. There are these four letters addressed to four different churches, and, and next week we'll talk about three more letters. So there are a total of seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3 addressed to seven different churches. These churches were all in towns that were not very far from that part of the world where Paul did his ministry, where Jesus did his ministry. These were well-known towns. We, we see the book of Ephesus in here, right? That's, that's the church that received the book of Ephesians. We see these other towns, and, and, and so these are letters that Jesus is speaking. These are his commands that he's speaking through John to be delivered to these churches. And did you notice the structure? They all had four things in common. First, it starts with a greeting, right? Jesus says, behold, I am, and all those things he talked about. Go back to Revelation chapter 1. When John turned around and saw Jesus speaking to him, John said he was on the Lord's day he was in the spirit and he had this vision of Jesus and he turned around and saw Jesus. All these things, with the ways that Jesus introduces himself, he says, look, I hold the seven stars. I'm among the seven golden lampstands. I've got a sword coming out of my mouth. I'm bright. My feet are like burnished bronze. Those are all things that John saw. And now Jesus says to these churches, this is who I am. There's a greeting. And then there's a condemnation, not a condemnation, a commendation. Commendation. Preaching's hard. There's a commendation. Jesus says, I commend you. There are some things that you've done that are good, right? But then there's a warning. He says, there are some things that you've done that are bad. Except, by the way, for one of these churches, which wasn't told that they were doing anything bad, but he just warned them and said, look out, things are going to get rough. We'll get there, okay? But there's a greeting, there's a commendation, there's a warning, and then fourth of all, there's a blessing. That's what you read aloud today. 
These blessings come from Jesus. He says, look, if you hang in, if you repent, if you come to me, you will be blessed. And that's always nice to think about, isn't it? That's why you read it out loud. Did you realize that as you were reading it? It wasn't warning. It wasn't like, you better watch out. He's saying, no, if you, if you turn to me and if you stay with me, there will be these blessings. Let's look a little bit more closely. I, I want you to get a sense of what I'm talking about here. If you have your Bibles open, wonderful. If you don't yet, there are some brown Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. Some of you have them on your, uh, on your devices. You might be able to find your Bible. We're going to find most of these verses up on the screen. We'll see if everybody can keep up with me there in the back. But here to this church of Ephesus, verse 1, there's this greeting. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, walks among the seven golden lampstands. John said in Revelation 1 that these lampstands are like the churches and the seven stars are like the spirits, the angels that go along with those churches. Jesus is among these churches. Even if they don't see him, maybe they don't even sense him. Jesus says, no, I am with you. That's a great way to start a letter, isn't it? Even though I'm far away in your minds, I am close by in reality. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, walks among the seven golden lampstands, and then he commends them. Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, look how verse 2 starts. He says, I know your deeds. If you're an underliner or a highlighter, maybe you'll underline or highlight those two words, I know, and see how many times that comes up as we read through these letters here in Revelation 2 and 3. What is Jesus saying? Not only is he among the churches, that's what it means that he's among the seven golden lampstands. These churches are all shining their light in the world, right? He says, I'm among these seven lampstands. But Jesus says, I know you. I see you. I understand what you're going through. So, so pay attention to the I knows. You'll see this come up over and over. I know your deeds. I know your hard work and perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people. I know that you've t- Jesus comes and he says, look, you're doing all this. Fantastic. But then in verse 4, he says, in the midst of all that, though, I want you to be even better. He says, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. He says, I know all the good stuff you're doing. I know all the things you're doing that are powerful and that are wonderful. But your love is slipping away. Hey, married people, does that like bring up just a little bit of anxiety for any of you? Have you ever had that conversation? Yeah, I know, I know you're working hard. I, I know you're supporting the family. I know you're taking care of the kids. I know, I know, but do you love me anymore? I mean, we can relate to that, can't we? I mean, all of our relations, they go through these high times and these low times. Have you ever wondered, you're saying, okay, I see that you're still with me. We talk about these young couples that got married in the last two weeks, and we pray for them that they can be strong and endure, and that indeed their commitments would last forever. But those of us who have been married for five years, 10 years, 50 years, do you know what it's like to be tired of each other? Now, I don't. That could never happen. Melanie, I've never been tired of you. I love you so much. But the rest of these people might be able to identify with that. Now, she's the one that gets tired of me. But do you see what Jesus is saying here? He says, I know. I know you're doing some good stuff. He says, but, but come on, your love has grown cold. You have forsaken the love you had at first. See, Jesus isn't just about us stepping in line and performing. Yes, Jesus wants us to do good things. God has good things planned for us to do. But that's not all of what the Christian life is. It's not just checking off boxes and filling in the blanks. Jesus says, I want your heart. 
I want you to love me. And so he gives them the solution. He says, you've got this problem, but if you will repent, repent, he says, do the things you did at first. If you will repent, I will be close to you. If you don't repent, I will come, he uses this language, he says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, he says, church, if all you're doing is doing good things, but you have no love for me, your church is probably not going to last very long. I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. He says, you want to be close to me? Set your heart on me, not just your hands to work for me. Right? We can get this right, church. Here's Jesus greeting them, commending them, saying, you're doing some good stuff. He's not beating them up, but he's very honest. He says, there's some ways that you're lacking, so repent. There is still time to change. This is one of the messages of Revelation. Jesus says, I am with you. I know you. I love you. Don't give up. Do you know what it is to repent? Repentance is one of those words that maybe is out of style these days or maybe is hard for us to wrap our heads around. A repentance is kind of if you go back to the, to the roots of words, to repent is kind of to turn around, right? Like, you know, to turn your back. It's, I, I did all this stuff. I've got this history. I've got this baggage. I've got this sin. I've got these things that I've done. And if I repent, I turn away from those. I leave those behind me. And, and repentance is two-sided when we talk about repentance with the Lord. Repentance means that I turn my back on all that bad stuff that I did. I'm, I'm leaving that behind me. I'm done with it. And I'm turning towards God. You've seen me in this very spot do this and this, right? We turn away from this. We turn to God. That's what repentance is. Jesus says, look, do that. Your love is cold. Okay, be better. Repent. Leave that behind you. And then he blesses them. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what I'm saying to you. To the one who is victorious, in other words, the one who leaves that stuff behind, who wins, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you remember from the beginning of the book of Genesis what that tree of life was all about? That was the tree that actually got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. Now they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for you Old Testament scholars. They ate from that tree. And when they ate that fruit, it says that their eyes were opened, and they realized who they were. They realized that they were sinners, and God says, you can't hang out anymore in this Garden of Eden because you might eat from the tree of life, which allows you to live forever. And if you eat from the tree of life, being in this broken state that you are now, that means your forever is going to be misery. That's why God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. He says, now you're just going to have to live with your sin for a little while. Jesus says, look, if you repent and put that stuff behind you, I'm going to give you the right to eat from the tree of life. That'll be true life, real life, forever life. This is the blessing for those who repent of all their stuff and turn to Jesus. Well, that's the message to the church at Ephesus. But does that preach to you today? Are any of you sitting here, can any of you identify with that saying, oh, okay, I get it, my life, I'm trying to do good things, and I am doing good things, but I, I know there's some garbage back there. Jesus simply says, hey, come to me. He says, I know you. He doesn't just know our good deeds. He knows all of our bad stuff. Jesus says, I know you, and I love you. Turn away from all that stuff. Come to me, and you can have life. Church, you say amen. amen. To the church in Smyrna. To the church in Smyrna, there's a greeting Jesus says, these are the words of him who is the first and last who died and came to life again. In case we're not sure whether he has the power to actually give real life, 
He says, no, I, I died. I've been there, done that, and I rose again. You want real life? Come to me. Jesus gives them this, com- this commendation. He says, I know your afflictions. There it is again, right? I know. I know your afflictions and your poverty. These people in Smyrna, these were not wealthy people. They were not influential people. By and large, the people in this church are afflicted. They are poor. He says, but you are rich. What does this tell us? Well, this tells us Jesus is even with the poor people. It's not a curse to be poor. If you're poor, if you're afflicted, it doesn't mean that it's happening because you turned your back on God. Sometimes it just is. It's very interesting. This church in Smyrna, this one who is being commended, Jesus says, I know your affliction, your poverty, you're rich. This is the only church that's not, that's not warned about something they're doing. Let's, let's keep going here. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. This is verse 9. Yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. In other words, he says, you people in Smyrna, I know there are folks around you who are fake, who are hypocrites. They say that they're the religious people, but they're really demons. He says, I know about that. And now, here's the warning. Notice notice what it says about Smyrna. He says, don't, verse 10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you to prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. If you go to jail, is it because Jesus cursed you? No. It's because the devil is still at work in the world. Sometimes that kind of affliction happens. If you suffer persecution, does Jesus say, well, you're suffering persecution because I don't love you anymore? Is that the case? No. Jesus is simply saying, this is going to happen. You see the warning here. He's not telling them they did anything bad, these poor, afflicted people. He simply says, look, heads up, because it's going to get tough. But he says, be faithful even to the point of death. I will give you life as your victor's crown. Did you know there was so much in these little letters of Revelation? And we're just skimming the surface here today. You you guys want to go deep. Oh, it's amazing what we see about how Jesus loves us, the way he talks to these churches. I mean, he speaks to us the same way if we're listening. But he commends them. He says, look, I know you are struggling. And he says, look out, you're going to struggle. But verse 11, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look at what it says here in the middle of the screen. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. In other words, there are things that are coming that are going to hurt some people, but you're going to get through if you press on and keep keep your love alive. Do any of you need to hear that today? Maybe there are some of you who are doing just fine. You've kept your eyes on Jesus. Your heart is still in love with him and you're doing all the right things. But maybe you are under affliction right now. Maybe you feel like you're being persecuted. Maybe you feel like everything just seems to be aligned against you. And it's so tempting in those times to wonder if God has forgotten us. It's so tempting when things are hard to wonder, like, does God care at all anymore? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have asked that question? God, do you even care about me anymore? I am lonely. I am hurting. I feel attacked. I feel misunderstood. Do you ever wonder if God still loves you? What does Revelation tell us? Well, here are these people... In Smyrna, Jesus says, look, I know you're going through all that. I am still here, and you can persevere. They're not doomed. 
They can press on. This is one of the messages too that we're going to find over and over in Revelation. We get to make choices and our choices matter. The ways that we live our lives, the decisions that we make, the things that we commit ourselves to or turn ourselves away from, they have consequences. Jesus says, look, press on towards the good things because you can. With Jesus Christ, we can rise above all this stuff. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. In other words, there is nothing to worry about. Jesus speaks to the church of Pergamum. It says, greetings. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. We know in other places in scripture that this sharp double, this is the word of God. It divides, it shows the truth. Jesus says, my words are like that. And he gives them this commendation. He says, I know where you live. Now that could be creepy, right? I know where you live. It's, it's not one of those kind of deals, right? He says, look, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. In Pergamum, there was a lot of idolatry. And temples to God were not the only kind of temples. Jesus says to them, look, I know you live in a tough place. And some of you, you can identify with this right now, can't you? He says, I know where you live. You feel like you're being surrounded by Satan. However, even in the midst of that environment, even in the midst of that situation, even in the midst of your geography, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Not even in the days of Antipas. Antipas, was a, a, he was one of the Herods. He was a leader. He was a despicable evil man. He says, you didn't renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas. Or no, oh, church, I'm going to have to apologize again next week for stumbling on my words. There's a different Antipas. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, the faithful witness who was put to death. There was a different Antipas who put people to death. He says, look, guys, you live in a difficult place. You live in a terrible spot. Satan is at work. He's even killing believers like this Antipas. But you didn't give up. Do any of you live in a difficult spot? How many of you have said in the last little while, man, I feel like I live in an ungodly chunk of the world. Any of you have neighbors that drive you nuts? And not even just in like the little annoying ways, but like with just bad things they seem to be doing. Any of you feel like, you're isolated, but man, there's just no believers around me. Any of you feel like there's just evil lurking where you are? Some of you can feel that, right? What does Jesus say? He says, that doesn't mean you're doomed. That doesn't mean you're hopeless. It doesn't mean you have no chance. He says, you can stick with me just like these people did in Pergamum. He says, they didn't renounce their faith in him. They remained true to his name. Even when, even when believers were being put to death in their city, they stuck with God. They didn't just go with the flow and, and kind of put their heads down and, oh man, I, I guess we have to turn away. From, no, they stuck with it. Do any of you need to hear that today? You may feel like everybody in your world is insane, and they might be, but that's no reason or excuse for you to just hang it up. I, I guess there's no chance for me. Any of you in school, in a class full of morons, any of you have a job where you feel like you're surrounded by morons and you say, why do they keep doing that? Won't they ever learn? This isn't just a kid thing. This is a grown-up thing too, unfortunately. Do you know people like this? You say, how many times is he going to do that same thing, expecting something to change? How many times is she going to keep making that same mistake? you know that that doesn't have to drag you down, right? 
Jesus says here, even, even if you live where Satan has his throne, you can stay true to Jesus. But he says to these people in Pergamum, however, verse 14, I do have a few things against you. See, Jesus can love us and still be honest with us. Love doesn't mean that we just ignore all the bad things that are happening. Love doesn't mean that we just turn a blind eye to the truth. Sometimes we Christians are tempted to think, well, if I love them, I just have to, I have to agree with them on everything. If I love them, I just have to say that everything's okay. If I love them, I just have to tell them that they're great all the time. No, no, Jesus shows us what love is. Love is honest and says, I'm going to help you by pointing out some of these challenges so that you can be better. He says, I have these things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam. This is an old idol. You can read about this in the Old Testament if you'd like to. This is enticing people so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and they would commit sexual immorality. Now, that may sound kind of random. Why did they talk about that? Well, well, before John wrote Revelation, the events of Acts occurred. The Acts of the Apostles, we've been talking about that in our Sunday school classes. And in Acts chapter 15, Peter Peter and a bunch of the Jewish people are trying to work through how the church should respond to all these new Gentile people who are coming to faith in Jesus but don't know all the rules. See, in the time of Jesus, Jesus was especially close with the Jewish people. He was a Jew, right? That was his tradition. That was his bloodline. And so there were a lot of people in the Jewish faith who understood things of the Old Testament. They understood some of the ethics and they understood some of the rules and the laws of the Old Testament. And so, so that Jesus came and, and, and now these Jewish people are getting together and they still hold on to some of that old, that old ceremony. They still hold on to some of those old laws and understandings, but they're following after Jesus. They're Christians now. This was a problem as the church began to spread because no longer was, was God just for the Jewish people, but Jesus was offered for all people whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, Jesus is now available. And so these Gentiles were coming into the church and they believed in Jesus and they loved the Lord, but they didn't understand all the old Jewish rules. They, that just wasn't their background. And so the Jewish people who were kind of the leaders in a lot of the churches, they're saying, well, which rules do they have to follow? Do they have to do all the stuff that we used to do as Jews? Because we know that a lot of that law is just not really, has to be followed. What do we do? And so in the book of Acts, Peter and the other disciples, they, they, they're talking with church leaders, in this, and Peter says, therefore, it's my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. These are people with, with hearts that are being regenerated. He says, instead, we should write to them, telling them, and, and there are three things that are brought out. He says, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, because that was so offensive to their Jewish brothers. It was, it was hard for people to get over. So, so Gentiles, don't do that. Don't eat that food that was, that was sacrificed to, to Balak or Balaam or some kind of other character. Don't eat that food. And that these Gentiles should refrain from sexual immorality. Keep yourselves pure. That, that's going to still be a core standard, a core rule. And stay away from the meat of strangled animals and then from blood. This comes from Acts chapter 15, verses 19 and 20. Peter says, look, these are just kind of the three things. And there's all kinds of things that tie back to ceremonies. And, but this is how you Jews and Gentiles can work together to be part of the church. So food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, meat strangled, meat from the strangled animals and from their blood. These things are to be avoided. This is why. When he's talking to Pergamum, he's like, look, some of you are getting sucked up into all these things that Balaam used to teach and, and, and Balak, and, and you're doing these things that are core, essential, offensive things. He said, Pergamum people, 
Don't do that. Likewise, you've also hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. They had a whole different set of teachings. Again, look it up on your own when you get home if you'd like to know what are the Nicolaitans talking about. But here's Jesus. He says, you've done some things that are bad. You have some ideas that are off. But repent, verse 16. Repent. Turn away from that. Just put it behind you. You don't have to be stuck with that anymore. Jesus says, repent. Otherwise, he says, I'll soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In other words, you have time now to repent. Now, Reuben talked about it well this morning in the devotions. Do do you know people who have a twisted version of the truth? And, And it might be truth about all kinds of things, not just truth about God. We know people in our world. I know people in my world who have just ideas. I'm like, well, that's not true at all. Ideas about gender stuff. Ideas about sexual stuff. Ideas about historical stuff. Ideas about economic stuff. And I'm like, where are you getting this stuff? And I I know where they're getting it, but how are you buying this stuff? Has anybody been frustrated? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Because the people who frustrate you might be behind you. Then you're going to have to repent before communion next week. But has anybody been frustrated by the apparent lack of truth in most of our world? Jesus says, yeah. He says to these people who are here in Pergamum, he says, I get it. But you don't have to fall to that. You see what's happening here over and over. Jesus says, you're doing some great things. And a lot of you are slipping, but you don't have to be stuck there. You can turn from that and come back to me. Why? Because I love you. And because I know that you love me. And in the power of Jesus Christ, there is restoration. Here's the blessing. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious... I will give some of the hidden manna. I'm interested to see exactly what that is someday. There's all kinds of, the the manna was given to the Israelites when they were out in the desert, when they were escaping from Egypt. It sustained them, it it filled them up. There's apparently this hidden manna that that will fill us up if we are victorious. It says, I also will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Kind of like an inside joke with Jesus. He's like, this is how I think of you. He says, I know you, and I'm going to give you the name that fits you. He says, that's the kind of relationship we're going to have if you're victorious. Do you see how much Jesus loves? Not just the people in Pergamum, not just the people in Smyrna, not just the people in Ephesus, but he loves all of us this much. And then the fourth and the the last church that we're going to look at today, Thyatira, Theatera, say it how you'd like to. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This is Jesus, so spectacular, the Son of God. He's not just another guy. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He says, Thyatira, I know. Oh, there it is again, right? He knows. He says, I know your deeds. I know your love and your faith, your service and perseverance and that you are now doing more than you did at first. How many of you want to hear that from Jesus? I do. How many of you want to hear Jesus say, I know you love me. I know you're doing good things for me. I know you're working hard, and I know that you're growing. That's amazing. Nevertheless, he says, I have this against you. And again, he cites sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Basically, what he says is, you are just following your appetites. You see something and you want it. He says, you don't care about me. You just go get it. He says, stop that. 
Some of the best counseling you'll ever get is just to replay on a loop two words. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Jesus just says, stop this. I know you're growing, but, but you are not perfect yet. Stop doing these things that are getting in your way. And then he gives them this blessing. He says, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. And this might help some of you think through some of the things that we're going to see at the end of Revelation, in 20, Revelation 21 and 22, when we talk about kings and nations and all this kind of stuff. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations that one will rule them with an iron scepter, will dash them to pieces. But just as I have received authority from my Father, I will share that authority with you. He says, I will also give that one the morning star. We'll unpack that in the weeks to come. And then this is how Revelation chapter 2 ends. Jesus says, whoever has ears, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's talking to us. He says, you have ears? Listen to what I'm saying to the churches. You have ears? Listen to this. Listen to how much I love. Listen to how much I know. Jesus knows us and he still loves us. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? You can't fool Jesus. I tell couples when they get married that they will probably never look better than they do on their wedding day. I mean, I don't know if any of you look better than you do on your wedding day. Melanie does. I, I don't know about the rest of you because I wasn't at all your weddings. But I tell those couples often, I say, you will probably never look better than you do on your wedding day. Some of you, you've been dieting and you've been tanning and you've, been, you, you've got a dress that's custom made and you've got a suit that they measured you for. Guys, how many times do you get measured for your clothes? Not very often. And you're dressed up and like the whole ceremony is all, and you're right there in the front and hopefully it's a beautiful day or it's a beautiful spot and, and you know, you're young and, and you're fresh and you're excited and all. You're never going to look better. What is the real test of love? Is it that you say, I love you when you're standing there in front of the church looking all perfect? Is that the real test of love? Or is the real test of love 40 years later when you get out of bed and nothing's in the same place where it was before? And there's no makeup on and the clothing, boy, it maybe doesn't even fit anymore, but here I am, baby. <laughs> hey, if you can love somebody, then that's love, right? This is Jesus saying, I know you. I've seen you first thing in the morning. I, he knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you are awake. That Santa guy can take a walk. Jesus knows it all. He says, I know you, and I still love you. This is the love of Jesus, and he's calling these churches back. He's saying, you've got some things that you're doing that are really great, but you've got a couple other things that are holding you back. He says, get rid of that so you can be close to me, and I'll reward you. I'll bless you. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's saying the same thing to us. He says, Waterway Church, you who are sitting here on September 26th, you, maybe you're watching online. Jesus says, I know you, even if you don't know him very well yet. Rest assured, he knows you. Jesus says, I know you. I know the good things you've got going on. And I know the bad things that you've got going on. Jesus says, but I love you. And I want you to be close to me. You who have ears, can you hear? Can you hear? Just like he says to all those churches, we have choices to make, you and I. We have choices to make about are we going to take this seriously or not? I mean, Jesus doesn't bend our arms. Jesus gives invitations. 
He doesn't very often give demands. He says, just come and follow me. I love you this much. Come and love me back. So will you? Do you? You have the opportunity to choose what you're doing with your life. According to what's said here in Revelation 2, you have an opportunity to decide whether you're going to be close to Jesus or just kind of keep doing what you've always been doing. What are you going to choose? What are you going to do? This is the decision that all of us have before us today. Next week, um, we're going we're to look at a couple more churches. And, and next week, for those of you who are here, we're going to have communion together. And we're going to practice foot washing together at the very end of our service. Reminding ourselves that we are part of the body of Christ. And we're part of the body of Christ together. And while we love him, we are going to also serve each other. That's what we're going to be working through next week. Jesus says, I love you so much. Just, just respond to me. Come to me. So next week, we're going to have communion together, and we're going to celebrate that love together. More on that in a minute. For now, will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Over and over here today, in these passages, we see that you know us and you still love us. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, we declare right now, I declare right now, I love you. Congregation, if you love Jesus, tell him you love him. Just say, I love you, Lord. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the ability. Thank you for speaking into our lives so that we have the ability to turn away from all the things that have defined us in the past and instead turn to you. Jesus, help us to repent and leave behind all of the sins and mistakes of our past, but help us to turn to you. Lord, we need your power to do this. Please send it. But Lord Jesus, we do set our minds on you now. And Lord, help us in all of our situations. We've all got different things that we're facing. Lord, you know us, but please help us in our situation to stay in love with you, to stay focused on you, to avoid the kind of immorality and idolatry that divides us from you. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us. Thank you, God, for giving us this chance to be together today. Thank you, God, as we celebrate this open house that we can do it in a in a nice place. But Lord, I pray that none of this will ever distract us from having our hearts set on you in everything we do. Holy Spirit, now please come and touch the hearts that aren't sure yet. Holy Spirit, please come and, and, and touch each person who's sitting here and still just kind of wondering if they buy it. Holy Spirit, please come and, and do your work. Hey, church, while you have your heads bowed and while you have your eyes closed, um, I recognize that there may be some of you in this room right now who are, who are feeling like you're maybe making that choice today to follow after Jesus. Maybe you're making that choice to recommit yourself to Jesus or to turn away and repent of something in your past. If that's you today, I'd love to talk to you this week. But if that's you today, would you just kind of raise your hand quickly? I'd love to just see, and nobody else is looking. But if you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, or if you've made kind of a new commitment to follow after him, or, or, or if, if that's where your heart's at, would you just raise your hand so God can see you? Amen, I see you. 
God, I thank you for your work. Lord, please continue to work in all the people here. Help us to love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Congregation, I wonder if you will uh, stand with us and sing.